Welcome, everybody, to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. I'm Dustin Rubio, part of the Limitless Leadership team and youth pastor at City Church Swansea. And I'm Tim Alford, National Director of Limitless and volunteer youth leader at the Source Church Malvern. And this is a conversation designed to help youth leaders connect, think, and grow. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Limitless Leaders Podcast. Uh, it is me, Ollie Ward, again for our second part of this uh, two-part podcast. Now, I should have said in the first part that the reason Dustin isn't here and the reason I'm here is I'm not replacing him. I never could. Uh, he's not dead, although may he rest in peace. Uh, he's actually just ill, sadly. So uh, get well soon, Dustin. Um, and that's why I'm here. Hi again. That's why you can see my lovely face, my lovely, tired, haggard, just about hanging in their face. Uh, but I am here with Tim Alford again for our second part. And we're talking about Gen Z. We are. We're talking about Gen Z and, and that, that culture of young people and some of the markers. Now, just, just briefly recap what we talked about in the, the first part for our listeners. Yeah, so we, we introduced Generation Z. We said that they were born somewhere between 1996 about and 2010, anywhere up to 2015 some would say, is where generations were born. We talked about how they're a, a large generation. They make up 26% of the population today. Yes. Uh, and how they're an influential generation. Uh, and then we unpacked the first kind of three hallmarks of the generation. So we talked, uh, firstly, uh, about how they were recession-marked, having, mm-hmm. having lived through two financial crashes, having never known anything other than the war on terror, and how that impacts their kind of cynical outlook on the world, that it's broken, that it's fragile. And then we talked about how they're Wi-Fi enabled. So different to being digital natives, uh, Wi-Fi in your pocket generation, instant access to information, to connectivity. uh, And that is how their relationships and their social circles have been formed and built. So we talked about some of those implications uh, and then thirdly, we talked about how, as a result of those two things combining, they are both passionate about and able to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And so we explored some of the opportunities that that creates for us. So if you're just tuning in to this episode, guys, then really you need to go back and yes. listen to part one, without which part two won't make too much sense. But that's a quick recap. You, don't, you don't want to miss part one. It was so just full of glory. <laughs> you need to make sure you hear that. Um, I, I think it's sad that this generation, they don't, they don't appreciate the dial-up tone. The dial-up tone? No. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was just the highlight of my afternoons. I was trying to get on MSN. Yeah. Suddenly, dial up tone, and then mum's on the phone. Get on the phone, mum! I'm on MSN. We're giving away our age here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you remember, do you remember uh, like, I don't know if you used to do this, but I remember whenever I wanted to go on the computer, I'd try and be a bit strategic about it. So I'd go into the computer room, because obviously you didn't have it on your phone or on no, a tablet. You had to, you had to go to the room. And I would, I would turn it on and then go do something else that I had to do because it would take so long. It took a long time to, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we had to kind of crank it, like yeah, yeah. F- feed the coals into it and stoke the fire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but good, and now, it, and now it's like if you hit a click through and it doesn't load within five seconds, you shut that app yeah. right down. Oh, I'm not waiting five seconds. Oh, crack, crack, website's <laughs> useless, website's useless. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. 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 I'll never understand that, Tim. No. That's so sad. 
But so do do check out the first part because it had some really really good stuff and it does obviously uh, set the foundations for the the last four markers yes. of Gen Z which we're going to talk about in this episode and the first being family influenced. Yeah. So, so talk again, us through that. Yeah, this is another really encouraging thing. So we referred last month to the Youth for Christ uh, Gen Z rethinking culture research, uh, and again in that research we found that. Young people often see family as a really positive influence on their life. So 59% uh, of the young people who answered said it was the, the number one thing, that family was the number one thing that made them feel good about themselves, mm-hmm. in contrast to social media, which was the number one thing that made them feel bad, bad about, about themselves. themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and 82% said that uh, making their family proud was their number one priority in life. Wow. Yeah, I was maybe a bit surprised by that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But really significantly for those of us who are youth workers, and again, should this impact how we do youth ministry? 73% said, 73% of the young people who did the survey who already believed in God, there was a mix of Christians, not Christians, was 73% of those who believed in God said that family was the number one influence on their faith formation. Right. Not their youth worker or their youth group or their church. Their family was the number one influence in forming their faith. That would be true for me. Yeah. Um, Yeah, uh, So that... That's that's really interesting that we live in Western civilization, which is very individualistic. And so the mindset is your your family are important. And so I guess part of the narrative that I've been told and that the kind of cultural story I'm part of is that family are important, absolutely, but you're your own person. So you think for yourself and you... And you don't need them necessarily. Your your family of origin doesn't de- necessarily determine what you can achieve in life. Da, 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 da. Whereas this is perhaps saying, obviously not the complete opposite of that, but actually that that individualistic mindset is less of a prominent story in young yeah. people's lives. Yeah, and, and, and to that point, here, here's something that might surprise you. So Vox Further Youth Trends published some research in which they said that 54% of young people are increasingly embracing traditional family values and that 98%, 98% said that marriage was important to them. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? That is interesting. Because I don't know, well, I, I do know that I never would have guessed it would be that high. No. Uh, and so I think that that's really, really interesting. And of course, we know um, that family takes all different shapes and sizes. You know, it's not just your 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 mum and your dad and your and your son and your daughter. You know, two up, two down kind of thing. Uh, you know that there are mixed families, that there are single parent families, and and uh, you know, with fostered and adopted children. We'll be doing uh, podcasts on that in the coming months as well. Uh, so so family looks different, and uh, when you say family to a young person, they will understand that in a different way to another young person or yes. how I might understand that and, and so so that's I think important to consider but the the concept of family is important and, and you know we work really hard in our youth group here in Malvern to do our best to create that sense of family 
amongst our young people. Mm-hmm. So we use, so we intentionally use that language a lot. We talk about uh, limitless family. Our youth group is limitless moments. We talk about limitless family, and, mm-hmm. uh, and and we use that in hashtags on our social media. And we uh, and in our space, we have you know welcome home up on the wall, and we create a, a comfy area that feels like a living room, and it has photo frames of photos that have been taken of, of the things we've done together as a group. Right, nice. uh, and so we're doing things in the environment, in our language. Uh, but also in the way that we we treat the young people to really try and create that sense of family because family is important to them. Mm. Um, And a a lot of them, a lot of our young people uh, are from broken homes. They have a experience of family which isn't positive Mm -hmm. um, and we want to try and and do something to to restore that um, Mm. a little bit. I remember right back when we started that, the youth group here in Malvern during our first year we're, we're into our going into our third year uh, of, of it now um, and in the first year I remember one of one of the youth leaders on our team having a conversation on the table he was on um, and every single young person on this table every single one was from a a family that had been separated right, right, right. Um, so so that yeah again uh that that has a huge impact on it on a young person's life, and that would have had an impact on many of our listeners' lives. Yeah. And, and and again, it, it, I, so I think that's one of the reasons why we really try try to create that sense of stability and in family. family in our, in our and, and that's that's crucial to the church and to and to theology because we 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 are the family of God. We're children yes. of God, and we we're united as a church in that we're family. Um, so there's some excellent theological principles at work there. How how then if we're if you're saying that uh, young people are are trying to make their family origin proud and they're hugely influenced by that, how do we how do we work within that family and how does that come against the kind of the family of God, the church family? How do those how do we work those those two families together? Yeah, I, I don't think that they're mutually exclusive by any means. Um, and we're not. What we're not trying to say is that, that uh, the family that is uh, our youth group family replaces no, you, you sure. know your your family at home. And if anything, you know, can can impact some values and um, principles which they can you know apply in their family lives. Uh, we will have an episode coming up very soon, which is entirely dedicated to how we engage with the parents of our young people. Great. So I don't want to step too much on the toes of, of that one. Um, uh, so so stay tuned for that, and we'll explore we'll explore this whole concept, I guess, in a little more depth at that point. Great, but just yeah. to say that, that that is crucial. Then, if if they're massively influenced by the family, yeah. particularly with their faith. We've got to be, as youth workers, working with the family, working with the parents, working with the guardians. That's right. That's right. And on some occasions, I think that's easier said than done. Yeah. Um, so for, for our group, you know, uh, we, I, I tried for a couple of weeks um, standing outside the door during the first 15 minutes we were open so that as young people came, I could engage with their parents. Right. But what I found quite quickly is that the parents were driving up in their cars uh, with staying in the car park with their motor on, the door opens, the, the young person gets out, the door closes, and off they go. Drove off, yeah. Uh, uh, and 
if you're working with a lot of young people who aren't Christians as we are in our context in Malvern and their parents don't go to church on Sunday, yeah, then how do you do that? Do well, you? it's really tricky. And yeah. so, it, it, yes, it's, it's, it's easier when the young people are children of parents who go to the church because mm-hmm. then you, you know, Sunday morning, you, you could be Some intentional contact. about having yeah. a conversation, grabbing a coffee, giving a consent form, using well, that moment to... To engage, um, but but it's it's, it's tricky. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, let, let's let's move on then to our, our fifth principle, which is visually orientated. Yes, that's right. Um, so this is a generation whose language is based more in pictures and and YouTubes and gifs and emojis. Yes. Uh, more than it is in in spoken words. I don't know if you a call. Uh, it's a few years ago now, but in 2015, the the official Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year. Um, not not the slang dictionary word of the year. The actual Oxford Dictionary word of the year uh, was the laugh crying emoji, <laughs> <laughs> which is appropriate because we use that emoji all the time, all the time. All the time. And so, and often, you know, I'll often, you know, and I'm not Gen Z, but I'll often send texts that don't have any words. Yeah, that is just emojis, just or, you know. Um, so this is this is the language of our young people communicating through gifts. Through Snapchat, mm. which is such, that's a, that's a language which is such a visual medium, um, and this must impact how we do youth ministry. That they're visually oriented. It just it just doesn't work to just stand up and talk for thirty minutes. Um, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't preach and teach. We should preach and teach. But we should think about how visually engaging mm. our communication is. So I'm talking about slides. I'm talking about um, photos. I'm talking about videos and media clips. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about uh, using props and things that are, uh, you know, uh, tangible and tactile. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking about putting things into the hands of the young people as they come in that they can engage with. Uh, you know, during the, the talk, we need to think creatively about how our communication is is engaging young people visually because their language is 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 visual, uh, visually oriented. So I think that's really important. So let me give you an example of this, Ollie. So um, we started in, in our youth group. Um, uh, we started by doing interviews, um, okay. which were testimonies usually. So like this, you know. You would ask the questions and I would share my story. And off the back of that, we would have conversation. And that, that was great. And we still do that on occasions. In fact, we did this on our on the last session just a couple of days ago. Um, but what we've taken to doing is um, when we're doing teaching series, mm-hmm. filming them and putting them on the screen. So we'll have a 10-minute talk that's been pre-filmed. Right. Okay. Now, the person who is doing the talk is sitting in the room. Right. So they, they could do exactly the same words live. Right. But we have just found that the young people engage better with the screen than they do with the person. So it could be the same person, same, the same, same words, but they engage better when it's on the screen. Because they're used to that. Because they're used to that. Yeah. Because they sit down and watch, they watch YouTube videos, which often is just somebody sitting in their bedroom talking to camera. So we're doing it in a YouTube style, and it's we found it's really worked for us. So we got a bunch of like in our 11 to 14s group, maybe 15, 11 to 14. So silence, absolute 11 to 14 year olds just watching the screen. Silence, 
I mean, I'm incredible. Uh, so I just, I'm just saying, I'm not saying copy what we do necessarily. I'm just saying, let's think about how how we're speaking the language of our young people. We started in the last episode, didn't we, by talking about the men of Issachar. They understood the, the times, signs of the yeah. times. And because they understood the signs of the times, they knew the best course for Israel to take. This is the whole point of these podcasts, that by understanding the generation, it should impact our practice. It should help us to know the best course to take. So let's think about how our communication is visually engaging. Great, and communicate to them in a way that they're already used to hearing. Exactly. Absolutely. Good, 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 good stuff. Let's move on then to the sixth marker, which is an exciting one. It sounds like an exciting one. <laughs> They're sexually fluid. Yeah, sexually fluid. So, th- so this, uh, I mean, this is a minefield. Uh, and even as we begin the conversation, I know that our listeners are going to have a, a whole load of opinions on this. Sure. But language like tolerance, uh, inclusiveness, diversity, equality, these these are the principles mm-hmm. that have shaped our generation uh, and that they hold really tightly um, and and really and uh, and are really important to them. Um, and, and so what we're seeing now is is a generation who are rejecting any labels when it comes to sexuality. So being inclusive of people who are homosexual is a conversation that's been and gone. Whatever your, whatever your theology is, whatever my theology is, um, for the record, uh, my theology of, would be a traditional conservative evangelical theology on, on, on sexuality. Um, and uh, I know that we'll have some listeners who would disagree with me on that, and that's fine. But even though that's my theology, I know that that's a that's a com- that's a conversation on a, on a previous day really yeah, and we're just can, we're, happened. it's happened yeah it's happened so um uh, we have a young person in our youth group who is a christian she has a real relationship with jesus and um, she really loves jesus she's really passionate about um issues surrounding lgbtq uh rights equality inclusiveness etc mm-hmm. um uh and she loves Jesus, you know? Uh, now, my theology is different to hers. Uh, but she, she doesn't see a dichotomy in those two things. If anything, she sees it as a, an outworking of, of her understanding of the gospel. Okay. Uh, 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 so, so what I'm talking about here is, is beyond that. I'm talking about a rejection of either the heterosexual or homosexual label. Um, because labels are something that uh, exist. They would, they would, they would say to uh, to hold us in or to restrict something. And uh, this is a generation who say that our sexuality shouldn't be restricted. It should be governed by what we feel. Andrew Root, uh, who we talk about a lot here at Regents, um, talks about the age of authenticity, mm-hmm. where where the ultimate goal is to be authentic to your to your to your natural desires. Ollie, talk to us for a moment about about the ego and the id and that whole thing, because that will help us here in this conversation. I've heard you teach on this and it's really helpful. So so just unpack some of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it comes it's, it comes from a guy called Freud, Sigmund Freud, a yeah. uh, psychologist. And it basically says that if you think about it as 
the ego is is the kind of the the middle person that the the conscious rational mind then you've got the id which is like our animal desires and the, the feelings that well up in us and the super ego which is the kind of the morals and the rules imposed on us by our culture and our family etc and the ego's job so the bit in the middle the rational mind is to balance the id our kind of drives and feelings with the the super ego the kind of the the societal constraints yeah. and morals and to try and come to some understanding between the two and Freud would say a healthy person is able to do that is able to incorporate their own desires and their id with the super ego and have a healthy ego um, and an unhealthy person either is too fixated on the super ego yeah to, to just completely ignores all their own feelings their own kind of drives or vice versa someone is just all about the drives yeah all about the feelings that has no regard for the super ego okay so, so, so that's helpful so for gen z that the id is king and in the age of authenticity it's about it, it's about uh not not being prevented from expressing your sexuality right. in hashtag, the way that the id tells you you should hashtag live my best life yeah right exactly and it's my best life and it's what i feel and it's what i uh, think that I should be able to do with my sexuality. So, so this is a this is a minefield, and so therefore, by rejecting labels, so fifty nine percent of young people feel negative towards labels when it comes to sexual orientation. So, so we have a generation that are sexually and relationally amorphous. Right. In that, okay. So, Miley Cyrus, okay, uh, Gen Z, high profile Gen Z, she says this: I don't relate to boy or girl. And I don't have to have my partner relate to boy or girl. So boy or girl is just a label. Male or female is just a label. Mm. But I reject that. Um, uh, Kirsten Stewart, another high-profile gen that she says, I think in three or four years, there are going to be a whole lot more people who don't think it's necessary to figure out if you're gay or straight. It's just like, do your thing. She says, just do your, just thing. Do your thing. The it is king. Yeah. And just do the age of authenticity. Just be real to what you feel. It, it, is, it is the hallmark, I guess, for this generation. Now, now this, is, this to me is really interesting. Okay, so there was a YouGov survey that was right. done recently. Um, and it revealed that in the UK, 49% of people between the age of 18 and 24 mm -hmm. identify as something other than 100% heterosexual. Okay, so they're not... 49%. Not, yeah, so they're not saying they're homosexual. They're not saying they're heterosexual. There's something else. Right. It doesn't have a label. 49%. Right. This, in spite of findings that only 4% of the population identify as homosexual. Okay. So yeah. you have 45% of 18 to 24 year olds in the UK who are saying, I'm not heterosexual. I'm not homosexual. I don't have a label. It, it, it's just something else. Yeah. It's just what I feel. Yeah. It's just what I feel in the moment. This is a this is a minefield for, for us as youth leaders because because we, we have a generation you see for whom acceptance equals affirmation. So the only way to be accepting of an individual in their mind is to be affirming of their sexual of their sexual choices yes. and their sexuality because it's the age of authenticity and I am most authentically me when I practice what I most authentically desire. Yes. But what we know about following Jesus 
is that the call to be a follower of Jesus isn't to do whatever you feel, it's to deny yourself, right. to take up your cross and follow him. Now that that language is offensive yeah. in Generation Z. To Gen Z it sounds like you're saying we don't accept you as a person. That's right. You've exactly got it there. Right. You've exactly got it there. So this is this is just a a, a, a huge minefield for us uh, to navigate. Um, and and actually the whole thing of the age of authenticity, um, whether you're a Christian or not, in my view, is actually really quite dangerous and harmful. And more than that, I actually think if you if you draw the question to its logical conclusion, mm-hmm. that young people like to like to say that that's what they believe, but when you push it, they actually don't. Okay, as in like accept everything, accept yeah. everyone, but they don't actually think that. Yeah. So we, so for example, I've done some schools work recently. Um, and this is how the conversation, and one of the, it, oh, in fact, in one of the groups that we did, it was like one of those kind of guerrilla Christian, you've got a panel, I'm going to ask questions. In, sure. in every, in every group, mm-hmm. um, the question about, um, what do you think about homosexuality or a question to that effect was asked. Um, and I knew what they wanted me to say. Um, and I knew already, obviously already knew what they thought. Um, so I, tried my best to copy Jesus and I tried to question the question a little bit. And so I said to them, listen, um, let me ask you a question if that's okay. And this isn't to avoid your question. I just want to understand. I I asked them, is everything that we desire good for us? Okay. So I I asked for a show of hands. Well, of course, everybody knows not that not everything that you desire is good for you. Sure. Right. So I might desire to watch Netflix all day and all night uh, I might feel like I want to do it, but just because I feel it doesn't make, mean it's good for me, right? So, and I'll give examples like that. Sure. I said, okay, so let's take this one step further. Is everything that you desire to do with your body good for you? Well, of course, uh, they all agree again that no, it isn't, because you might desire to eat chips, you know, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day, but even if you desire it, it's still bad it's for you. It's going to have bad effects, yeah. Exactly. So I said, okay, let's take it further. Is everything that we desire to do sexually with our body good for us okay well now now there's a little bit more of a pause for thought <laughs> and people aren't so forthcoming in their answer because they kind of know where i'm going mm-hmm. and i said okay, okay let me give you an example then let's say that there's a 30 year old and because this was year 10 i intentionally chose a 16 15 16 year old <laughs> okay. uh, and let's say that they fall in love and consensually they um, uh, sorry, it was a 15-year-old because I wanted to be below the age of consent. Um, so I said, yeah, a 15-year-old, because they're year 10s, so they're 15, uh, and a 30-year-old, and they fall in love and consensually they have sex. They both desire to have sex. Is that right or is that wrong? Well, I know for them, a 30-year-old feels like their granddad, right? <laughs> so they're all like, oh, no, that's wrong. Of course that's wrong. Um, and and they, they say it's wrong because legally it's, it's wrong because sure. that, you know, would, would be... <laughs> and uh, uh, but just because it's kind of grossing them out a little bit, um, so they say no, that that's wrong. So, oh, so, so, I, so I said to them, okay, so you're telling me that even though they both desire to do it sexually, that something outside of themselves should tell them that it's wrong. Yes, that's what we're saying. Okay, right. Let's let's do another example. Let's say, let's say I'm I'm a married man. I said to them, let's say I fell in love with somebody who isn't my wife. 
um, and that they fell in love with me. And that again, consensually, we decided to sleep with each other, but I'm still married to someone else. Would that be right or would that be wrong? Well, of course, almost everybody in the room says that would be wrong. So I said to them, okay, guys, so here's what you have told me. You have told me that not everything we desire to do with our bodies sexually is good for us. You have told me that it shouldn't be the individual's desires that gets to define what is and isn't okay to do sexually. Yeah, yeah. You, you have told me that I've not said that to you. So they've told me something when they've thought about it that conceptually they would have said that they, they disagree with. Yeah. And then I said, okay, so who gets to tell us? If, it's, if you're telling me it's not the individual's desires that gets to define what's right or wrong or good or bad for us sexually, who gets to tell us? Is it the government? Do they tell us because of the laws? Well, of course. What we know is they're recession-marked and cynical about it. Yeah, so, yeah, so they say, no, of course it's not. Of course it's not that. So, okay, well, is it just, is it just what society says? Is it just what's popular? What's yeah. just accepted by the most number of people? Is that what defines it? Because that seems a bit loose, right? Because what's acceptable today is not acceptable tomorrow. What's not acceptable today will be acceptable tomorrow. Are you going to live your life like that? So if it's not the individual, if it's not the government or the law, if it's not just what's popular in culture, then, then what should it be? Who, yeah. And then I say, well, for me, I think I leave it to the person who created sex, who gave it as a good gift to us and who said, well, this is how you should use it for your good. And sometimes that means denying myself of the thing I desire. But when I do, I trust that it's for my good. And, and so my, my point in that kind of long illustration is to say, I think there is a way to have the conversation mm. where we can show young people that as much as it feels nice to say everybody should do what they feel, that at some point at least, they don't actually believe that believe to that. be true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's helpful. And this whole thing with re rejecting labels, um, the whole idea that boundaries are good for us. Um, I, I, I sent you an email, Ollie, didn't I, like a, a few months ago, of all of these new terms mm -hmm. that have been um, that have been dreamt up or, or created to describe different sexual expressions uh, or, or different expressions of gender identity, and it just seemed really interesting to me that there was this desire to to break free of labels and just do what we feel, but that was so uncomfortable that all of these new labels have had to be created because actually we're made for boundaries. Yeah, but what we want definition. Yeah. We seek to understand ourselves and define yeah, ourselves. Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. So I, I think there is a way that, though it's a minefield, I think there is a way to engage in the conversation where we can, again, like you said, not just tell the young people what to think because we think it, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but encourage them to really think properly about what they think and why not just because it's the pervading cultural that's view that's good and, yeah. and what's really good about that as well is that you in in addressing it like that not only are you talk in a language they understand and, and coming from from their experience and their perspective you're also helping to distance desire from the person yeah so if we've we've outlined the person and, but we've not said the person's wrong just said that perhaps their desires aren't beneficial for them yeah and that that speaks into this idea of of acceptance and, yeah. and accepting the person without necessarily agreeing with yeah. their desires or, yeah, which I think yeah. is really good. I've got this little bit of a, of a dream, Ollie, where 
with the whole thing, because we're talking about sexually fluid, and that is about sexuality, but it is also about gender as well, yeah, as we heard in that sure. Miley Cyrus quote. I've got this little bit of a dream where I think, wouldn't it be wonderful if when a young person was struggle, struggling with their gender identity, their first thought was, you know what I need to do? I need to go to church. Because I know that if I go there, I'm going to be able to talk to somebody who isn't going to judge me. I'm going to be able to talk to somebody who's going to listen to me really well uh, and who's going to give me some, some honest feedback. And, the, and our, our church is as, as tricky as it would be, just became, our youth group just became full of young people who were struggling with their gender identity or confused about their gender identity because they just knew that somebody there was going to love them. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I'd and love help, to see and, But also in loving them, help them think it through for their best. Yes. Not, not just say, yeah, what you're doing is great, keep yeah, doing it, keep right. doing it. And then I'm, I don't have to be involved in it, just keep going, great, actually. It's that... I'll, I really do care about you, so therefore I want to help you think properly and think deeply through yeah. this and what it means. And Ollie, I've heard you talk about uh, talk about a uh, somebody who does art restoration, and I found that really helpful. Just share that illustration for our, for our yeah, listeners. Yeah, yeah. So, so the idea is that if you compare kind of gender theology or, or, or sexuality to the, to the idea of the the art restoration or the masterpiece approach, in that an artist trying to restore a masterpiece doesn't doesn't seek to improve it or change it to be more relevant. What they what they do is the approach they take is they study the original uh, to understand how the original was created, and in doing that, they also study the creator, the original artist that painted the masterpiece, so they can understand what or try to understand their intentions for the piece, what what the way they worked, their particular style, their brushstrokes, and then when they're restoring that piece of art they seek to restore it as close as possible to its original and how the creator wanted it rather than popping a moustache on the Mona Lisa or like putting Mickey Mouse ears and headband you wouldn't do that because it's there's something special there's something almost not quite but almost sacred about these works of art that we we, we cherish as a society so when we're restoring them we go we go back and we try and make them their fullest and their most beautiful that is close to the original Great. I think that's really helpful. Yeah. Good. Well, we'll move on to the last uh, marker, which is post-Christian. It's interesting. You said, who, who should we, if, we're, if this generation is sexually fluid, who should we listen to in terms of uh, who tells us what we can do with sex and who we are? We would say that's, that's God. I'm assuming that with the seventh marker, post-Christian, that's not who they're going to look to so what what is this this post-christian marker about yeah so so this is for us as christian youth workers the most important one this is a post-christian generation by which i mean it's the first generation to have been almost entirely raised by non-christians right so they don't even have the the memory of the gospel right let me give you an example of this my wife is a, a primary school teacher she was teaching about Christianity uh, at Easter time uh, in RE lessons. And um, one, and I've got a photo of it. She took a photo of it. One of her children wrote down, is Christianity a game on the Xbox 360 Connect? Because they didn't even, they didn't even, hadn't even heard of it. I hadn't heard the word. Yeah. Wow. And it is kind of funny, but it's also kind of really sad. Like then there's another example. She, again, she was teaching at Easter time and she said, to her class, something to the effect of, hey, um, at, at Easter, 
uh, Christians celebrate how Jesus died and came back to life. So for a Christian, Easter is all about new life, she said. Mm -hmm. So children, why do you think we use eggs to celebrate at Easter? And one little kid puts his hand up and she goes, yes. And he goes, because Jesus was born in an egg. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which again is kind of funny, but also kind of sad. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. th- there isn't there isn't even a memory of the gospel story that's being handed down generationally. Right. The challenge there is obvious, but the opportunity there is great yeah. because with the previous generation, what they carried was all the hang-ups that they associated with church and how the church had failed them or how religion had failed the world. But we have a generation now that doesn't carry those hang-ups. It's it's a generation that isn't religious, but they are spiritual. Mm. And so actually what we have, using the artist illustration again, is a blank canvas. And I think that's really exciting because we do get the chance to start over. We do get the chance to paint a beautiful picture of what Christianity is and what a relationship with Jesus is that isn't colored or shaded by all of the previous negative conceptions of right. what that was or what that is. And I think that presents a great opportunity. Yeah. Amazing. Which is crucial to this generation. Cause we said in the first episode that they, they have an inherent distrust of organizations and leaders because they've let them down. Yeah. So to, but what's nice is, although they maybe have that, they don't have the negative connotations towards religion, Christianity, faith. They're just completely new to it. That's right. So it's a that's right. It's a great opportunity. Yeah, amazing. So shall we recap on those? I think we should on those I seven think, things. I think it'd be good to take us through the seven markers. So we said that Generation Z are recession marked. We said that they're Wi-Fi enabled. Uh, we said that they're passionate about and able to make a difference. We said they're family influenced that they're visually oriented. We said that they're sexually fluid and that they are post-Christian and that that these are the defining hallmarks of the generation. And if we understand that and understand them, then we should be reflecting on how our practice engages with that generation appropriately and relevantly. Great. That's great stuff. Great stuff. And thanks for, for sharing it here. Brilliant. Thank you, Ollie. Thank you for hosting. Please. (laughs) And thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, We'll see you next time on the Limitless Leadership Podcast. God God bless. bless. Thanks for listening to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. We want to make sure that the Limitless Leadership Podcast is tackling the issues that affect you in youth ministry. So email us at info at limitlesselam.co.uk to let us know the issues you'd like us to discuss. Stay in touch with us on social media. We're at Limitless Elam on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, and YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or however you get your podcast. See you next time.